0: Connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We're in a series entitled Marked, and we're walking through the book of Mark. And I think uh, today is one of those chapters where uh, the whole chapter kinda ties together and challenges us a little bit. If you do the math, we're in week six, so you know that I'm about to say, grab your Bibles, head over to Matt. Um, I'm sorry, Mark chapter six. So head that direction with us so uh, you can read this text with us today. I'll, I also wanna remind you before I get going that we have our Ask Anything program, which is the phone number that you see up here on the bottom of the screen. If you have a question any time during the message, you can text it to that phone number. And if we have a few questions at the end of this, we'll get uh, our pastors up here on the stage and try to answer some of those questions before you head out today. So just keep that in mind. No need to memorize the number. It'll be up there for you the whole time. Uh, Today, I'm I'm just going to tell you where I'm going so you don't miss it at all. I don't think you can miss it from the chapter, but I'm just going to tell you up front where we're headed today. Today, this chapter, what we're talking about is all about faith. The whole thing is about faith. If you don't know what faith is, Marion Webster says that it's a complete belief, trust, or confidence in something or someone. Uh, Obviously, we know who that someone should be, and that's the challenge today, is to place our belief, our trust, our faith in that person. Now, we get questions every once in a while about what's the difference? Is is belief and trust and faith, are all those things the same? And, And I would tell you that I think they're all different, I think there is a progression. I think you believe first. That comes in your mind and heart and soul. You believe, and then you place your faith in, in Jesus, and then you start to trust him. And trust is the active part. It's the exercising of that faith, Pastor Ryan had a great illustration a couple of weeks ago. If you're here for the Q&A, he got up here on the stage. He brought a chair with him because one of the questions was, what's the difference in faith and trust? And he pointed at it and said, hey, I, I have faith that that's a chair. And then he sat in it to demonstrate trust. Uh, The illustration I like to use all the time is the guy that would, you know, he walked across a tightrope over the Niagara Falls, and he came back, and and everyone cheered him on, and he said, hey, uh, he grabbed a wheelbarrow, and he said, does anyone have faith that I can push this wheelbarrow across to the other side and bring it back? And everyone just saw him walk across and come back, and they're like, absolutely, we have faith that you can do that. And he said, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow, right? (laughs) That's the difference in faith and trust, and, and it's just the exercising of your faith. And that's where we want to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. We don't want to just say that we believe. We don't want to just put our faith there. But we want to trust in Jesus, that he can handle anything and everything, that he's got it. We can just follow him. Now, um, faith has always been the issue in Scripture. It's not just a New Testament thing, it's been the, the design from the very beginning. And I want to show that to you. If you go to Exodus chapter 15, verse six, it says this. And Abram this is before he even changed his name to Abraham. Abram, what? Belief. Belief. This is uh, that service where you're going to interact, all right? So I'm gonna, just going to be asking you to call these things out as we go today. So Abram, what? Believe the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his what? Faith. Faith. See, he believed and he placed his faith in Jesus. And like I said, this, this idea of faith in Jesus is what we're talking about today. That's this faith that acknowledges the truth that we see that God has given us in his word. It's this, this faith in trusting that Jesus is who he says he is and receiving and resting in him as our savior because he's the only one that can save us. Uh, Faith is described in the book of Hebrews as this assurance of things hoped for, things unseen. And so, obviously, as we start today's message, my question for you is this. Where do you place your faith? What is your faith in? Have you ever thought about that? Have you really established that for yourself? Have you ever made that statement to yourself? And I'm especially speaking to the young people in the room today, because I remember being uh, very young and thinking, I'll worry about that when I get older. And what I found out is, is as I got older, is I should have decided that when I was much younger. See, it's better for you to decide it today than later on when you go to the doctor and you get that test result that you weren't expecting. Or you get that phone call that changes your life. It's better to decide today. And I'm, I'm praying and hoping that every single one of you, and yes, I'm speaking to you, that you will make a declaration here today before you walk out that you believe in Jesus, that you placing your faith in him, and you're going to trust him with everything in your life. That's what the goal of Mark chapter 6 is. And uh, Mark chapter 6 is split into six different sections the way I see it. Uh, The first section just starts off in verse 1, and and it's talking about Jesus being rejected from his hometown, his childhood uh, hometown. He grew up there. It's a little place called Nazareth. Jesus goes. He walks into the synagogue on Sabbath, and he begins to to teach. And I want you to see in the second part of verse two, this is what it says. Many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Now, just stop for a minute and think about this. They're acknowledging that there's great wisdom there that comes outside of him. They're, they're acknowledging that he has the power to perform some amazing miracles. They have everything that they need to believe And put their faith in Jesus. And yet, we go on in the passage and it says this. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to what? Believe in him. They refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. And among his relatives and his own family. Jesus is being rejected by the same people that he grew up around just because they remember him when he was a kid. And yet he shows all this wisdom, all these miracles, and yet they still can't believe that he is who he says he is. If you remember, Mark chapter one, verse one, tells us that the reason Mark is writing this book is so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is what they're struggling in believing just because they watched him grow up. It goes on to say, And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Uh, It's incredible to me. I think this is a preview of what's going to happen at the end of Jesus' life. His whole ministry is going to come to an end in Jerusalem when he goes in he does miracles. He teaches with great wisdom and authority. And yet they're going to reject him. They're going to arrest him. They're going to put him on trial. They're going to beat him and crucify him. And this is kind of a precursor to that in his childhood hometown. It says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles. Isn't that incredible? Uh, do, did you see why that he couldn't do any miracles? And it's not because he doesn't have power. Look at the top here. And because of their, What? Unbelief. It's because of their unbelief. The people had unbelief. They they chose not to believe in Jesus. And because of that, they didn't go to him for healing. And you're going to see at the end of this chapter, just the opposite of that. They refused to go to Jesus for healing. Um, I I, I think verse 6 here says it all. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What a sad statement. That Jesus would be amazed at their unbelief. Uh, it's stark contrast to what we see in Luke chapter 7 when uh, somebody outside of the Jewish faith, a centurion, actually sends for Jesus and says, Look, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my home. If you just say the words, I know my servant would be healed. And it says that Jesus is amazed at his belief, his faith. And yet when it comes to his own people, he's amazed at their unbelief. And I think there are two things that make Jesus step back and go, wow, one's good and one's bad. The first one are those who believe when it's not expected that they would. And the other one is those who disbelieve when they have every reason to believe. My question is, which camp are you in? Where are you at this morning? What do you place your faith in? Because I promise you this, um, I'm telling you here, right here, right now, that when Jesus comes back, I want him amazed at my faith, at my belief. I want, to, I want to be a church that Jesus looks at and he's amazed by the faith that we have in him, that the trust that we place in him. I pray that that's the situation. Now, um, the next section of scripture, we go from verse seven to verse 30 is another Mark and Sandwich. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Mike talk about this. If you don't know what these Mark and Sandwiches are, it's just a a style of writing that John Mark used when he wrote this book. And he has several of them scattered throughout this entire book. And this is the second one that we come to. And the way it works is uh, it's a style of writing where um, John Mark would start to tell a story And so we'll just call that a one A. Okay. He starts to write this story, and right in the middle of that story, he'll uh, he'll inject another story. And, and the first one is the bread. The second one is where the meat's found. And then he'll finish off the first story. So you have a uh, one A, then you have two, and then you have uh, one B, and he'll wrap up the first story. And it's in the middle of that, in that meat, is where you find the full meaning and the thrust of what he's trying to get across to you. Does that make sense? And so we're going to take a look at this. It, it kicks off here in verse 7, where Jesus is sending out the twelve. It says, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet. As you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Jesus sends them out for a short missions trip, really. He takes the 12, he breaks them into teams of two, so six teams, he sends them out. Don't take anything. Because it's just going to be a short missions trip. I just want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to, to heal and cast out demons. And guess what they did? They did exactly that. God, uh, through Jesus, gave them the authority to be able to do those things. And, but there was an interesting part of the instruction. Did you notice it? What did Jesus tell them to do if any place refused to welcome them or didn't listen to them? Uh, it was in verse 11. It says, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. Uh, it's a very interesting Uh, way of showing what you mean or the message that you're trying to send. And it's actually a very pious Jewish thing to do. The Pharisees, if they would walk through a Gentile territory, when they would walk back into the Holy Land, they would actually knock the dust off of their feet or off their sandals. And it was this idea of, you're so dirty and I am ritually clean. I don't want even the dust from your land to defile me. Very pious, right? But that's not the way Jesus is using it here. Uh, Why is he telling them to do that? It says here, um, to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. What is their fate? What have they decided to do? Well, they've refused to welcome them. They've blocked them out. They're not listening to them. In essence, they are choosing not to believe. They're pushing them away. And Jesus says, look, I want you to knock the dust off your feet to show them, hey, you've chosen what you're going to believe in. And you're, cho- cho- you're choosing to reject me as the Savior. And that's exactly what's going on here. Shake the dust off of your feet. And it's this warning, really, that their rejection of God is going to put them in the same boat as the Gentiles. And yet they're Jews. They think they're saved. They think that they're right. And Jesus is saying, if they don't welcome you, they don't listen, they're no better than the people who don't believe or have never believed. And then we get to the meat of this Mark and sandwich. And it comes in verses 14 through 29. And it's really the death of John the Baptist. And we don't have time to read through all of it. And it's a story of Herod arresting John the Baptist, brings him into the prison. And through this weird twist of events, he ends up beheading John the Baptist. And so the, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the one that paved the way for Jesus he was the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and yet he's beheaded while he's in prison. And then we get to the other piece of the bread, the, the, the end of this first story in verse 30. It says this, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And, and so what's the meaning of this Mark and Sandwich? It's interesting because last week Pastor Mike was talking about the Mark and Sandwich that fell in chapter 5. And, and it started with Jairus coming to Jesus, and his daughter is dying. And he says, I want you to come heal her. And Jesus starts to walk with him to go to the house to, to heal this young girl. And on the way, in the middle, the meat of that story, was this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she slips into the crowd, and she thinks to herself, If I can just reach out and touch his robe, I will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. And if you remember the story, she's, she's uh, crowding in there, she touches his robe, and in the middle of all of this mess, Jesus goes, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? All these people are pressing in, and you're asking who touched you? Because he knew somebody had touched him. And immediately she was healed, and she comes forward, and she confesses and says, this is what I was doing. And what was she doing in that moment? She was expressing faith, is what she was doing. Because Jesus tells her what? Your faith has healed you. And in the middle of that conversation, what happens? Some people from Jairus's home come and they say, Hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. And what does Jesus tell him? Don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. And what does Jesus do? He goes and raises this little girl from the dead. And so the moral, the, the lesson from that story is really that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to exercise our faith. We have to put it into action. We have to take steps and turn it into trust. And so today we talk about Jesus sending out the 12 and they go out and, and they're casting out demons and, and preaching the gospel and healing people. And yet there are people who uh, won't welcome them, that won't listen to them. and They just knock the dust off their feet. And then in the middle we see where John the Baptist is beheaded and then they come back and they share this story with Jesus. And I think the lesson for us is this: is that uh, not only do we need to exercise our faith, but while we do that, some of us as disciples of Christ, we may die for the cause of Christ. It could cost us our life. That's how much faith we need to have. That even when facing death, that we won't flinch. I, I love the reading this morning because the reading actually told us: Look, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, nothing will ever shake you. You won't be shaken we continue in our story. It it takes another turn here in verse uh, 31, where Jesus does this incredible miracle. Uh, We picked the story up in 31. It says, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left the boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. I used to read this and think, this is crazy talk, because what are these people, like gazelles, like they can run around the shoreline, right? And then uh, we actually went and saw the Sea of Galilee, and you realize that it's not as big as you think. You can see the other shore on the other side, and any boat in the middle, you you can watch them, and you can see where they're headed. You could actually run around the shore and meet them at whatever port that they're headed to. So... It actually happens. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And I love this. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and bless them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces. He kept giving the bread to the disciples. So they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Check this out. Uh, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and the families were fed. Uh, it's an incredible, uh, incredible story. Can I, um, can I get your permission to do something? Can I just nerd out for a second? That'd be okay with you? I want to show you something. I I just love this kind of stuff in Scripture because we read this stuff, and so often we go, Well, that's just a story. It didn't really happen. And and yet, when you dive into these stories, you start to realize there's so much truth. There's reason to put validity in Scripture, to actually trust Scripture and what it says. And this is one of those because this is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. It's found not only here in Mark, but it's in Matthew 14, Luke 9, and John 6 as well, which means you can go to each of those and you can read the same story from different angles and get different pieces of the story. It's absolutely amazing to me. And one of the things I picked up uh, as we were reading this is Jesus says, let's go to a remote place. Why? Because there were so many people coming and going. And it sounds like it's even more people than what we've seen in the last two chapters because it says that he and his disciples don't even have time to eat. That's a ton of people. Why would there be that many people going along the road? Well, when you go to the book of John, you find out. John gives us a little detail. He says the Passover is approaching, which means that all of these people would be moving in the direction of Jerusalem. They would be headed there for the largest festival of the year. That that would... The whole country is moving. That's why there's so many people that are going along. And then John tells us that Jesus tells all the people to sit down in the green grass, which is pretty cool, right? I mean, it's just a little detail, but why, why is that there? And I always think the reason the details are in the scriptures is because it points to something. Uh, when you go to the other Gospels, you'll find out that it says plenty of grass or much grass, Now, it's just a nerd out just for a little bit. We don't know exactly what year this is. It's probably going to fall somewhere between 26 AD and 36 AD. And if you go back and you do the research and you find out that Passover actually fell between 26 AD and 36 AD right at the end of March to the end of April, right in that area. Why is that significant? Because historically, the rainiest months for this area are between November to March. And so um, if Passover is falling at the end of March to the end of... April, guess what they're going to have? Lots of green grass. It follows the five rainiest months of the season. You're going to have plenty of grass. You're going to have much grass just right about the time of Passover. Uh, I love the fact that he tells them, you feed them as well. And in the book of John, Jesus actually points that question to Philip. And it's Peter and Andrew that end up a, um, answering the question. And uh, Andrew's the one that goes and finds this little boy and brings him forward that has the five loaves and the two, two fish. Now, why would he ask Philip, and why are Peter and Andrew jumping into the whole thing? Well, it's interesting, because here they are in Tabgah, on the north point of the Sea of Galilee, and the reason he aims the question at Philip, we find out, if you go back and read, you'll find out that Philip, Peter, and Andrew are all from Bethsaida, which is right there close to where this miracle happens. So, um, he's asking the homeboys, where are we going to take these people to eat? That's what he's doing. If all of us decided today we were all going to Elizabeth to eat, I wouldn't ask somebody from Bennett or Trail to tell us where to eat. I would find somebody from Elizabeth, and I'd say, where are we eating today? Why? Because they know the good eats. They know where to go. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's locating the locals and going, where are we going to find something for all these people to eat? And it's just a fascinating detail to this story. Um, Also, we're told that he has two fish and five loaves. And unfortunately, we have this idea when we read this. We go, okay, so they went to the Dollar General, and they bought five loaves of Wonder Bread, this big. And he's got two 12-pound bass. That's what he's got. This little boy in his sack, that's what he's got. That's not the case at all. And actually, I want you to think of it this way. Those five loaves are these little bitty, flat-pressed pieces of bread. That's all it is. And the fish, the modern um, equivalent to that would be like our sardines, it's just something that he's putting on the bread to eat the bread. That's all that is. And yet Jesus took that and multiplied it so 5,000. And that's just counting men. 5,000, more than 5,000 people ate that day from just those five loaves and two fish. It's an incredible miracle. And I don't, I don't want us to overlook the miracle for the nerdiness, okay? I just think the nerdiness lends credibility. It's, we can place our trust in Scripture that it's true because it doesn't conflict, it actually builds up the story and strengthens the story. But I love the fact that this miracle occurs and over 5,000 people are fed. And not only that, but we're given this little detail in Scripture in verse 42. It says they all ate as much as they wanted. It's like a buffet, man. From five loaves and two fish. They got as much as they wanted. Some of the translations say, and they were all satisfied. Um, Some of you, you came here today, not sure why, Maybe it was for this point right here. Some of you, you're having trouble placing your faith in Jesus because you're not sure if he can actually do what you're hoping he can do. You're not sure that he is who he says he is. You're not sure if he's even real. You're not even sure if he knows what's going on in your life or not. And I want you to know that anyone who comes to Jesus will be filled. They will be satisfied if you just place your faith in him. If you've never done that, I hope you do that today before you leave, that you make that declaration that Jesus is who he says he is, and I'm going to place my faith in him. And watch what he can do with even the little bit that you give him. He can do way more than you could ever imagine. Um, This next story starts in verse 45, and uh, Jesus walks on water in this story, starts off like this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. Now, just pause for one minute. Here's what I want you to do. They're in Tabgah. He's sending them to Bethsaida, and he says, look, get in the boat, head that direction. So take Bethsaida, okay? Grab it, stick it in your pocket, because we're going to pull it out a little bit later, okay? So just, just hang on to that one. Um, Head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Then we get the scene. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Remember, it kind of shoots up. There's hillsides. He's looking over the lake, and he can see them. They're probably approximately three, four miles away from him, and he can see them from there. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, he cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. I love this because it's almost like a double scared here. They they saw him walking. They cried out in terror. They were all terrified when they saw him. Uh, In the south, we would say they were a scared It's like afraid and scared mixed together. it's, It's like a double scared. That's how terrified they were. But yet, Jesus knows that. I love this. It says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Get this. Their hearts were too, what? Hard to take it in. It was too hard. Jesus sends them out in the boat to head to Bethsaida. They get in the middle, and while he's up spending some time alone praying, he sees them out in the middle, and they they get hit by a storm, and and they're being blown around, and they've been fighting for hours. Three o'clock in the morning, he comes walking out on the water to them. They're terrified. They're scared, right? And what does he say to them? He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. A correct translation of that would be, Take Courage, I am. Remember we just went through the I am series? This, so far in the book of Mark, this is the strongest statement that Jesus has made about himself, about being God or about being the Messiah. He says, I am. Uh, I want to give you a bit of truth this morning. They're in the middle of this storm. They're getting blown around, and Jesus shows up. They're terrified. And he says, Take Courage, why? Why? because I'm here because I'm God because I am I want you to know that if you're going through something right now in your life and it's blowing you around you're getting knocked off your feet you're not sure if you're going to make it out of it I want you to know that recognizing Jesus presence in your life is the cure to fear it is whatever it is that you're going through If you can focus and dwell on the promises in Scripture that God is with you, that He has never forsaken you, He will never leave you, that He is right there with you, that's the antidote to your worry. It will help you make it through whatever that you're going through. God is there with you, and He'll take care of everything. He'll take care of you if you just believe, have faith, and trust in Him. Jesus is walking on the water, and now the disciples are amazed, it says, they had just witnessed him feed over 5,000 people with this little bitty, you know, bread and this little bitty fish. He fed over 5,000 people. And just a few hours later, he's walking to them on the waves. They're in the middle of a storm. They can't overcome. They've been rowing and rowing for hours, and they can't get out of it. And he's just out there walking across the tops of the waves like it's nothing. And they still don't believe like who in the world would not believe after those two things back to back in one night? And yet they don't believe. Why? Why? In verse 50, their hearts were too hard to take it in. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the four soils and we asked the question, is your, hard heart, uh, is your heart hard like, the, um, like the, the pathway or like the rocky soil? Or is it soft like the good soil where seed can take root? It's the same thing this morning with with this text. Their Their hearts were too hard to receive that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. See, it's all about faith, it's all about trusting. It always has been, and it will always be. And it is in this moment, not just in our text, but right here, right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Where is your faith this morning? We get to this last section, and I love the parallel to, to the rest of the chapter. Uh, we get to this last section, and, and Jesus gets in the boat with them. You remember they were actually headed to Bethsaida, right? Um, they go to uh, Gennesaret, is how you would say it. I've been practicing that all week, actually. Uh, Gennesaret its kind of a messed up name but it's another little town right on the Sea of Galilee and what I find fascinating is you're going to see a different response remember how the chapter started off he went into his childhood hometown and the people rejected him take a look at what happens here in verse 52 after they had crossed the lake they landed at Gennesaret they brought the, bo- they brought the boat to shore and climbed out the people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were what? Healed. All who touched him were healed. Um, they end up Docking at Gennesaret, and they were headed where? Do you remember that thing we stuck in our pocket? Bethsaida, right. They were headed to Bethsaida. Let me just show you a map so you can understand how wicked this storm was. Clear up here in the north, they are at Tabgha. This is where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. He sends them in the boat to go to Bethsaida, and they end up clear over here. These are experienced fishermen. That's how strong that storm was. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. They end up docking there. And I think it's interesting because I I do believe they were actually wanting to go back to Capernaum because this is where Jesus was staying at the time. And so it sounds like from the text that they get out here and they begin to make their way back to Capernaum. And I don't know if they send somebody else back for the boat later after they're arrested. I don't know what happens there. We're not told. But I think that there was a plan in all of this, that this is where Jesus needed to go anyway. Because as he gets out, the people recognize him and they all start running to him and they start bringing people on mats. And, and what's interesting to me is they say, Look, um, if we can just touch at least the fringe of his robe, what are they expressing in that moment? Faith. They're believing in him. Faith. They're trusting that if we can just touch his robe, we would be healed. Now, let me ask you a question where would they gotten that idea? That if they just touched his robe, they would be healed. Where would they have gotten that idea? Yeah. Last week, Pastor Mike, right? The woman who had been bleeding for, six, or for 12 years, and she reaches out and she touches his robe. Word travels fast, doesn't it? The good news of Jesus travels fast. And this is exactly what's going on. They're saying, look, if we could just, if we could just touch his robe. I love the way it ends, too, because this shows us who he is. It says, and all who touched him were healed. All, not just some, but all. Has Jesus changed from Nazareth? No, what's changed? The people believe. They have faith in Jesus Christ. All who touched him, the the touch implies faith. It's always been about faith, and it will always be about faith. Even years later, Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, would write in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he would say, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? By faith. As the scriptures say, it is through what? Faith that the righteous person has life. It's about faith. Mark chapter 6 is all about where we place our faith, and more accurately, who we place our faith in. My question is, Where's your faith at this morning? Have you made the decision? Have you placed it in Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that he is the Messiah, the son of God? And if not, I pray that you do that today before you head out. And for those of you that have been saying, look, I believe in Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, but you live life like it, as though God doesn't even exist. I would challenge you. Take your belief in trust or take your belief in faith and turn it into Trust give it to him. Because here's what happens. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we trust in him, he shows up in a big way. He meets us right where we're at. And you know what that does to our faith? It increases our faith. And we trust him even even more. And some of you can testify to that today. This is the way it works, but you have to take a step toward him. You've got to believe say that you believe in him. You've got to put your faith in him and begin to trust him. That's my prayer for each and every one of us this morning. Can I just pray for that? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in this moment uh, admitting, Lord, that many times we struggle. We struggle in faith and just um, placing our faith and trust in, in what we can't see, Lord. And yet, just like the wind, we know that you exist we know through your word and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that you are calling us to you. Lord, I pray that those in the room that have never placed their faith in you, they would do that today before they leave. I pray for those of us that, that say we believe, but we live our lives as though we don't. Lord, I pray that that would change today, that we would make a declaration before we leave here, and that we would find ourselves in a place where, God, you are just showing up in big ways in our lives, and our faith is increasing God, I pray that in all those things that it's continuing to mold and shape us as individuals and as a church that has great faith in you, that is a reflection of you to the world around us. God, we just give you all these things. We ask that everything that we do and say glorifies the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people agreed and said, amen.